0: There are few topics in the world that are of more importance to me than what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about the kind of community that any community that names Jesus as as Lord must be. In other words, the kind of community that we here at Lake Avenue Church simply simply must be. Uh, I'm going to bring us back to a picture I showed you last week. Uh, Dr. Tokunbo Ariomo, one of the great, great leaders of the past uh, number of decades across the continent of Africa, saw during his lifetime, because he just passed away a few months ago, he saw during his lifetime what many of you may know about, the incredible growth of the family of God throughout the continent of Africa. It's been one of the great stories of the past century. But near the end of his life, as he was looking at what had happened at the body of Christ in Africa, he drew a picture of how he thought probably that body looked in the eyes of God right now and that picture I thought was really interesting with that little bitty head signifying how much they knew of doctrine of, of the faith as, as God reveals in scripture and therefore the feet don't really know how to serve and to obey if you don't know how to live what to live you don't know how to do it so you have to, uh, to know it but he said we do have the numbers as it was growing and we have the heart there's a lot of emotion and he said, that's not the way that the body of Christ should be. And so he was signaling to the leaders there where they had to emphasize the growth of the whole family, the whole body. Now I ask, if you were here last week, do you remember I said, well, how would we draw, or how would Dr. Adiemo draw, the family of God, the body of Christ, here in the United States? And uh, one of the men, newer comers to our church, Mark Houston, uh, did it. It kind of shows me what people do while I'm preaching. Um, As you look at that, you might not be surprised that Mark is an architect. You see, we have all sorts of people here. But as he looked at it, I I think he's essentially right. He said he thought our head would be a bit bigger, but we don't have necessarily the size and sometimes perhaps not the heart. So the body isn't quite as big and, and the legs look rather scrawny. So our obedience to what we know and our service to one another may not be all that God would have it to be. I looked at that and he said, I apologize if that's not being fair. And I said, no, I think you're probably pretty much on track, except for this. I don't think I would draw the head quite that big. Because studies are showing that people who go to church in the United States now don't know what they believe very well. Uh, Those who are in generations before us had learned the faith and learned the scriptures much better. So if we have a shrinking head and a shrinking body and shrinking legs, well, we're just shrinking people. We need a lot of work. This is not how God meant for his church to be. You know that, don't you? He meant for us to be whole. He meant for us to be strong. And the place in which the growth is supposed to happen for us as individuals is supposed to be in what we are experiencing now. The community that we call the church, what I so often like to refer to as the family, the unexpected family of God, this household of faith. Believe it or not, God has planted communities like this one in places like, like this so that we could be involved in one another's lives. We're supposed to be a place where the world can look and say God is real and he's there because look at what he's doing among those people. But also it's the place where you and I come in and we see our lives being shaped, our minds and our bodies and our, and our service in that way. Uh, I'll just show you again a couple of the key verses that tell you that it's in the church that we're to experience God's healing and life-transforming power. Uh, Colossians one twenty-eight. Paul would give his own testimony to his ministry and he said, At two churches in Colossae, and I think to us as well, we are to preach Christ so that people can come to know in a personal way this Lord Jesus that Claudia talked about. But then that's not the whole of the work. Once people have come to Christ, we must admonish each one and teach each one in wisdom to this end so that each one may become complete or perfect or whole in Christ. And in a complimentary section in chapter uh, 4 of the book of Ephesians, verses 12 and 13, he, God gives to each one of us when we come to Jesus, His Holy Spirit, and gives us gifts to serve one another in the community. And so we're to serve with the gifts God gives us. Why? So that the body of Christ, the whole body, <laughs> may be built up until we all become mature. Until we all attain, this phrase is so overwhelming for me, to the measure of the fullness of Christ Himself. So the, the, if that's supposed to happen, you and I are, are, are to become Christ-like because of our connection to the body of Christ. How does that happen? Well, how do we connect so that the life-transforming power can flow from this community into our lives? And so this fall, I'm beginning, it's just such simple things with the essential connections. These aren't optional things. There's so many ways to connect. These are the essential connections so that God's transforming work can happen in your life. Last week, we thought about why it's so important to do what we're doing right now, to come together with the whole body of Christ, as different as we are and so forth, and find ways to sing praise to God. Make sure that we give to the work of God. Make sure that we all open our ears to what God will do and do it together and not to forsake doing that. But today we're going to see that that's not the whole of it. That's not the whole of it. All that God wants to do in your life cannot happen just in this worship service. And today I want to think about one of those essential places, the life that we live together that we call community. I'm going to take us to perhaps the passage that brothers and sisters in Christ have looked at throughout the generations. The the passage that Peter read for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. I, I find it to be one of the clearest in the Bible, talking to us about community. So I want to first think, okay, Pastor, if this is so important, what is it? What is a biblical community? Look at verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together. Now, some pastors preach this and, that, and say, that well, that means gathering in the large gathered worship service. And it does. But but when you look at the context, it's not just that. Because there are certain things that have to happen when you and I meet together that can't happen in the large gathering uh, of God's people. In fact, the very word used for meeting together is episunago L- Listen to it. Epi-sunago... Does that sound like it? Gain... Synagogue. Doesn't that sound like synagogue? Well, that's the word that stands at the heart. Synagogue, if any of you know anything about Jewish gatherings, that's their gathering of people. It's the gathering of people. And that's what it's all about. Don't forsake making sure that you gather together with one another. And in that gathering, we are to be a kind of people who are able to do these one another's that are talked about. In verses 24 and 25. Now when I talk about that. This community. When we meet together. I so often have put it this way. A community is different from simply vicinity. Or or I usually write it this way. There is a world of difference. Between diverse people being in vicinity of one another. And people actually living in community with one another. Does that make any sense to you? I mean, you know you can just be near one another in vicinity and have absolutely no relationship. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, whom I so often quote, puts it a little differently. Maybe you can picture it better. He says he thinks of a church as as a congregation, not just as an aggregation. Not not just as an, an aggregation, he says, is like a bunch of marbles in a bag. A congregation is like grapes still on the vine. That are organically connected to one another through the vine and the branches. Uh, so that the grapes will be distinct from one another. And yet we share a life together. So, so th- basically what I'm saying is a, church, a co- church community, as God says we must be, is not simply a, a bunch of people gathered together for some event. Uh, like a football game or, or, or a concert. Nor is it simply a group of people getting together to listen to a speech. God intends for our lives to be connected to one another in in, in an organic way. So that we can pray for one another. So that we can know when a person is really hurting. So that we can encourage one another. And yes, sometimes even so that we can correct one another. Now if you want to know what the Bible teaches about community, and it teaches a lot in the New Testament, You just need to look for two words. When you read through the Bible, look for two words. And they are those words, one another. So easy to find them. And they're all through, especially Paul's epistles. And you find it twice here in Hebrews, verse 24 and 25. See verse 24? Spur one another on. I'll get back to that word in just a few moments. We've got to kind of do that spurring here. And then verse 25, encourage one another And so as you think about it, you and I, as we gather in this place, are surely distinct from one another in a way like those grapes. But when you come to Jesus, you come into a relationship with God and he says, I'm going to put, give you the blessing of being in my family, in my community. And what happens is, not not only are you connected to him, but you and I are connected to one another. Look around you. How the rest of us are doing is going to affect how you're doing. And if some of us are sick, we're going to affect you. But if we're growing, you, it's going to affect you too. And the same thing will happen from you toward us. Now, that's what biblical community is about. And I'll tell you, when you talk about community in this way, where people's lives are connected to one another, we don't have to live life alone, you know that this is what the whole world is talking about. It's not just in church you talk about this. All these books being... takes... A village to raise a child. You hear that phrase all over the place. We have to work together. I was together with a whole group of people, our leaders in our community, the police chief and our, our, our superintendent of schools and so forth this past Wednesday. And they, talk, it's, they said it takes our whole community tied together and working together in order for us to become... Well, I'm telling you, the world is longing for it. But the only place where it can really be found... Is the church of Jesus Christ functioning as God says it must? So are we? Well, I think we need to stop again and think about what we have in common. You know, community, that's what it's all about. Uh, Unity because we have some some things in common with one another. Um, What do we have? Okay, look around you here. What do we have in common with one another? Well, I'll tell you, if you have the book of Hebrews open, verses 19 to 23, talk about what you and I have in common as clearly as any place in the Bible. Uh, Verse 19 starts with a word that I keep pointing out to us throughout the Bible. Can you see it back there? It starts with that word, therefore. Now, those of you who have heard me preach for a while, you know what I say almost every time we see that word. When you come to therefore, you've got to find out... What the therefore is, therefore, forgive me, English teachers, uh, for that, uh, for, uh, for that. Now, the problem is when you when we do a series like I'm doing right now, where I'm just picking out key texts to t- talk about topics, we come to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, and we haven't even heard anything about what's happened before. And there's a whole lot that's happened before. So we don't know what the therefore is pointing back to. So I'm not going to take time. We would be here all day. Uh, to try to tell you the whole book of Hebrews, but uh, just if I can boil it down, the book of Hebrews says that now that Jesus has come, everything is better. Uh, It's pretty much that simple. There were Jewish believers. The book of Hebrews is written to uh, fulfilled Jewish people. They found Jesus as their Messiah, but they were finding it hard. They were being persecuted, and some of them thought, you know, it would be better just to go back to where we were. And some of them wanted to give up this faith, And the whole book of Hebrews says, wait, wait, wait. Everything you're looking for, it's a lot like 1 Peter, isn't it? Everything you're looking for, you have found in Jesus. You you have found a better sacrifice. You have found a better way of worshiping. You have found a better high priest. Uh, And especially when we get to chapter uh, 10, verse 19. What you and I have found and what they had found was access to God. That's what he talks about. Access to God. Because before Jesus came, human beings were unable to have a personal. What Claudia gave testimony to, I'd, I'd kind of had a religious background, but I didn't know God personally. That's what we were made for. And if we don't have access to God, we can't become what God would have us to be. Do you remember that in my series in Genesis, I keep bringing it back. Genesis 1 and 2, we human beings were made in the image of God. We were made to know God. We were made to have access to God. Everything else won't work if we don't know God. When, when we have a relationship to God, knowing Him, He shapes our lives. And that enables us to have honest and real relationships with people. And and, and enables us to have the right kind of relationship in this world. So many times when people in the community will say, yeah, I'm really a pastor, you're a pastor, can I tell you some of my problems? And wh- bottom line, where I have to start is, they don't, often don't want me to start there, but where they have to start, where we have to start is, do you know God? So you see the problem before Jesus came, every human being can only really live well if, if we have access to God, and they didn't have it. And this thing that you couldn't come into the, you see, verse 19, the most holy place. Even the people of Israel, God's people before Jesus came, didn't have access to God. To the most holy place because God is holy and we're not. Except one time a year, one person, the high priest, was able to go through this curtain that separated people from the holy place. It was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And offer a sacrifice for the people. But in our daily living, no access to God whatsoever. And now Jesus has come. A new and living way, verse 20, has been opened for us. Uh, all of us. We can know God again. Uh, his body, it's so interesting, verse 20, his body becomes the curtain. Uh, opening the way from where we were, separated from God, into to a real relationship with God. It's like Jesus said in John 8, I'm the door." Before you didn't know God, but, but I lived a, a life that was sinless. Jesus, the only one who came from above, not in the same mess that you and I are in. And He, by hallelujah, was willing to die in our place on the cross so that through faith in Him, we can have access to God. He's the door. If we will walk through Him by faith, we can come in. We can come in and, and be saved. Amen? Amen. That's what church is all about. So what do we have in common? Okay, all that talk. What do we have in common? Number one, we were made to walk with God. We have that in common with all people in the world. That our lives aren't going to be what they should be until we have access to God, until we know Him. So that's one place you can begin if people don't seem to be interested in God. Uh, they really are deep down. All of us have been made For that, number two, all of us have to acknowledge we have sinned. So on our own, we have we have no access to God. We are unholy. God is holy, and so on our own, we have absolutely no access to God. And this is why so many people sense in our souls there is something more than myself. It's why so many people are ready to be spiritual, but they don't know what to do with that. How do I get in touch? with my spirituality. I mean, it's a big thing that you just cannot wipe it out because we're made for it. But we don't have access because our lives are messed up. We have sinned and God is holy. But number three, here we go. Brothers and sisters, what else do we have in common? You and I now have access to God. I'm telling you, when we sing here, we sing to the God we know. But we only have it through faith in the Jesus who is willing to live a perfect life and then shed His blood to bring us to God. I don't know if you notice how it's put there in verse 22. We can draw near to God now with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. But he says, but you have to remember our hearts had to be sprinkled because they needed to be cleansed. And we had a guilty conscience. So, Christian, I don't know if you, you get this. This means you and I have owned that we needed to be cleaned up and we needed our guilt to be taken away. And that really means that a Christian community should be made up of a, of a humble bunch of people. Right? Just, just a humble bunch. Because we know we have no right on our own to be in the presence of the holy God and to enter into the most holy place. We know that. And now we can. We say thank you. And that changes the community. That means that when other people come in, we don't look down on them, but we can offer hope. We we pretty much say, I I can turn to John Stuthers and say, John, if I can be in the family and have access to God, there's really hope for you. Because I'm worse than you. That's, That's how we feel. It's what Paul felt his whole life. I was the chief of sinners and if you let me in there's hope for you. That's what Christian community has at its heart. And yet we are sinners who are, though we have found forgiveness and cleansing, we're in process. So the fourth thing we have in common when we gather here this morning is that we own that not one of us in this church is perfect yet. We may try to pretend it, but we we aren't. But I'm telling you we have a certain hope. That is that God will keep his promise. And bring us to completion in Christ. Look at verse 23. So we're going to hold on unswervingly to this hope that we profess. Because the one who promised it is faithful. So we look at our lives and we say, I failed again. We come into this place and we give our lives afresh to God. And we begin praying for one another and we move out of this place ready to live, being more of what God would have us to be than when we came in. That's Christian community. Where does this process happen? Where does this growth happen? That leads you to verse 25. Don't forsake meeting together. It has to happen. The place where God does his work to bring you from where you are to where God would have you to be is to be the community of the church. Now, saying this, are you with me here? If you see somebody asleep, shake them right now. I want you to know as your pastor that I know that especially churches like ours are often criticized and told that we cannot be this kind of community. Especially in our day. You you know this. I'm looking at people younger than I am especially in our day, people are saying a church like this cannot be this kind of community where I can really be open and get to know people and and grow to become what God would have me to be. And there are conferences even by people who name Jesus as as their Savior where they'll turn to people and say, you've got to find a community where you can grow and you're not going to find it in the church. You'll give up on it. It's It's a strong voice in our world. Find a smaller group in your house of people that are like you and And so encouraging people not to be in Christian community. What do I say? Two two reasons that are usually said. First, the criticism that churches, especially big churches, have become so bent on, on success and growth and building the things that we want to do that we care more about that than we do about individual people. And I've been told that big churches often have much more the feel of a corporation than this community that God says we must be. A second reason, we're often criticized because people say that this very matter of being willing to show grace and mercy to people who have fallen is what you don't find. We found it, but we don't show it to others is what people say. This book by David Kinnaman called Unchristian simply surveyed people who don't go to church and, and looks at people like us and says, you'll never find a place of forgiveness and acceptance and welcome there. So what do I say to you as your pastor? First I want to say this. To whatever extent that I have led in such a way, that our church has become more a corporation than a community. I seek your forgiveness. And second, in, in whatever ways I as your pastor have preached or proclaimed in such a way that we have become a closed place where the grace and mercy of God is not shown and received and experienced. I apologize and ask for forgiveness. And I declare to you through the power of God, that this church community, to His glory, by His work, will become the kind of community that God says we must become. I declare that to you. And I I tell you that any church that names Jesus as its Lord must be characterized by the kind of mercy and graciousness, but also commitment toward holiness that characterized the life of Jesus Himself. And by God's grace, as hard as it is, through His power, this church family, Lake Avenue Church, will become that kind of community. And I tell you, If if you think, I'm going to give up on the church, or you hear somebody say that, I just want you to know that there is no other place in this world that you're going to find this kind of community. We'd better be it, because this is what God has established. A place where where confessed sinners (laughs) gather together and have found forgiveness and hope and offer it to others and gather just saying, thank you, Lord, and singing praise to Him and experience in our midst the presence and the power of God. There is no other place to find that. We must be that. So that this world can come to know the healing and health-giving power of our Lord. That's what a Christian community is supposed to be. So that brings me to the last point. So if that's what we're supposed to be, what has to happen when we gather in, in community? Look at verse 25. So, or, or 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward these love and good deeds, living as we're supposed to live. And then in verse 25, let us, let us in our considering also encourage one another. So here, not everything about Christian community is given in these two verses, but mark them down. I think the heartbeat of it is given here. Three points. One, uh, Christian community, we must... Know enough about one another. We know one another well enough to be able to consider that word, to, to be able to consider the direction of one another's lives. We've got to be in relationship enough to be able to consider that the word for consider is to Stop. And think and, and, and evaluate where people are going. That means that if the community is going to be a community, there have to be settings smaller than this one that we are involved in, whether classes or small group studies or, or places where you serve together, or whatever those places are, where we can actually get into one another's lives and consider, open up one another's lives and consider where one another is headed. Now, I'm looking at, are you with me guess, still? Um, I'll tell you what I thought when I started thinking about preaching this. I thought I think women are better at this than men. Anybody women I thought I'd get an amen. <laughs> that was my first thought. I think it seems to me uh, women are more prone toward just liking to be together. Men we've got to do something together, right? and so this being together where we can get to know one another maybe so first of all i could make an excuse well i don't have to do this this considering because i'm a man we're not good at that and i started thinking some cultures are better at this than others um and when i thought about our church and the breadth of cultures that come in i thought oh yeah some cultures are, are better at this now you know this, you, you hired, you called here. It's too late for you to stop right now. You called a West Virginian as your pastor. Do you know anything about West Virginia? Do you know in the 1860s, West Virginia separated from Virginia? Do you know why? Yes, partially slavery, but that's not the whole thing. The biggest thing was that hill people didn't want to be connected to those sophisticated Virginians anymore. Virginians might sit around in a circle and open up their lives, but not West Virginians. We are rugged individualists. Uh, don't tell me what to do. I'll figure it out and get there myself. And if I have to suffer while I'm doing it, I'll do it. So I come from that kind of a culture. And I know many of you, especially who may come from what some call a shame based culture, men to open up our lives and become vulnerable. That's uh, so I'm a man and I come from a culture where this is not easy and I, I don't do it very well. And then third, I started to think, and I'm a pastor. And you know that if pastors open up too much of our inner lives, we're not going to have a job. You, you, right? Chris, you're worried about this sermon. I can just see it. I can just see it up there. Ah, it's such a hard thing. We're supposed to lead you, and this is an essential part of our growth, and yet this is so hard. You know, when I was hired, you point me to these passages in the book of Titus and 1 Timothy that tell you about the standards of of, of spiritual leadership, and one of them is blameless, absolutely blameless. And I've got to try to defend being that. My wife and children are sitting there, and they, they know their father. and They know their husband's. And I have to say what Paul says in Philippians 3 that we'll look at in a couple of weeks. I haven't arrived yet. And so I have all the excuses. I thought, how do I preach this then? Well, for men, you don't have to listen. Just for women who come from the right culture. What culture is the right culture? That Maybe the French. Maybe they like to sit around with a glass of wine and just talk about themselves. I, I don't know. If French people are here, let me know. So I, if, if you come from those cultures that don't want to do it, uh, and if you're a pastor, you don't have to listen. Is that what I said? And then I read this text, and it doesn't give me any of those outs. No excuses. God says that I want to do a work in you, and it's going to happen in community. And Greg, you're not excluded. I was talking about this on Tuesday with the pastoral group, and we've gotten to know one another well enough that we consider one another. At least they consider me. I don't know. Hopefully, I do some considering. They. They were saying, you know, people say in a church like this will never be this kind of community. And, I, and, and, and we pastors have a hard time with it. And I began sharing something that happened. And then they said, you must share that with the people. And I said, I don't want to. And because uh, <laughs> I'm a West Virginian man, you know, all those things. So I'll tell you anyway. Last week, my close, close friend of over 30 years, Jamie Rankin, was here. Do you remember? I picked him up at the airport at Burbank. And as we were driving back... Uh, He said to me, Greg, you know, the last uh, last three or four times we've gotten together, we haven't taken the time uh, to really speak into one another's lives, to see how we're doing to encourage one another and and to help one another. We haven't really taken the time for earnest prayer with one another. And I wanted to say, well, Jamie, I'm a pastor and a West Virginian and, and a man, so I'm not we decided on the Saturday before he headed out, we would just stop for a while and get involved in that. It was really one of the richest times of my last couple of months. I just want to say, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But I'm telling you, this is God has given us one another and we have to be in relationship in such a way that we can see your attitude doesn't quite seem right. Your, Your thinking process does keep going. We need to consider. And in considering second, we have to have enough love for one another actually to spur one another on. And and that word in verse 24 is such a strong word. It means to be willing to confront, sometimes to irritate. You may say, I have enough people around me to irritate me. I don't need to have any more. But it's not a negative irritation. It's a positive one. It really is. For riding a horse that's going in that direction and you... Kick in those heels, spur it to go this direction. A life that's going one direction. And we say, no, 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 that's not good for you. I love you too much. And you have to go in this direction. And this is not easy either, is it? It, What does it call for? It calls for humility. Humility enough to open up where we're struggling. And humility enough not to be self-righteous when we spur. Humility to know that I'm going to need to be spurred next week, but I've got to spur you right now. It takes courage, don't you think? It takes so much courage. It takes respect for that other person. Humility and courage. Does, respect to be able to receive the spurring. It really takes Love. The kind of love Jesus has. He says, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you destroy your life. We need this and we know it, don't we? It's, it's like Odysseus in the Odyssey. People who went by that island of the sirens. Do you, you know this story? He, he knew what would happen. These beautiful sirens with their beautiful music would be beckoning. As they had, always beckoned sailors. But when you go near them, as beautiful as it seems to be, there are rocks there and you will be destroyed you remember what he does? He, he tells his, his uh, 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 crew, you've got to tie me up on the mast and don't listen to a word I say until we get past this thing. Otherwise, I and all of us will be destroyed. It's not the greatest illustration, but it helps me. Sometimes we need the community to love us enough to tie us up until we get through that thing. We, we have to have again the humility and the courage to speak truth into life, to say, We know you want to hold on to that grudge. But it's going to destroy everybody around you and it will destroy you. If you don't forgive, you must forgive. You've got to get over that thing. Don't we have to do that? When we see that happen, we need to be able to have the courage and the love to say, I know you are so strongly tempted to sex outside of marriage. I know it. But but it will destroy your real marriage relationship. It will destroy that person's relationship. It will harm people around you. This is not how God made us to live. This is hard. And I'll tell you, it's also countercultural. The world will fight it. The world will say, A good community is that community that will give you what you want. And the Bible says, you see it, a good community is a community that's willing to step in and give you what you need. It's countercultural. The world will say, oh, what that pastor is talking about is way too personal. You should just decide for yourself. And the Bible speaks in and says, no, 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 no. You've got to decide together how God would have you to live. The world will say, live for yourself. The Bible will come and say, no, live for God. The world will say a good community is built up by just accepting, letting people live however they want, whatever style they want to live. And the Bible steps in and says a good community is a place where together we pursue how God has made us to live. Take some spurring. Sometimes it should be a little bit painful to be in Christian community. Don't leave. Because so as I'm telling you, when you feel uncomfortable with it, that's the time when God's ready to do His work. And One of the things that keeps our growth from happening is that we can run across the street to another community when it gets a little bit painful and hot around here. Spurring means we will benefit from being redirected. But it's not just spurring. Verse 25, so we, we take the time to consider. We have the love to spur and we have the willingness to walk alongside one another in the midst of the temptations and trials we all face. This word, let us encourage one another, verse 25. That word is that beautiful word, uh, parakaleo. It's it's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit is, a paraclete, an advocate, somebody who walks with you. Uh, Claudia, uh, it was used for attorneys in the first century. uh, So that when you go to court, I, I don't like lawyer jokes. Because we need good attorneys. Because a good attorney is an advocate, right? When when you go in and you're being accused, you need somebody to be there with you and help you find justice. And that's the word that's used. In a community, you and I are called to walk alongside one another in life. To encourage one another and to say, no, I'm going to spur you for a while, but I'll tell you, I'm not going to give up on you. You say, but this pattern that I've been in has been for decades. We'll say, yeah, but but the power of God is great enough to change that pattern, right? But He's given us one another, so I'm going to walk with you. (laughs) I'm not going to give up on you. And then that person... I failed again last week. Spur, 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 but I'm going to walk with you. I'm not going to give up on you. Oh, I learned this. I've told you a number of times about this racial racial crisis we had back at uh, Trinity when I was there. And it was so hard and I felt so alone. And every morning pastor james meeks of the salem baptist church african-american pastor on the south side of chicago every morning he would call me up nobody else did I'd be asleep and the phone would ring it's pastor meeks and he say, i know you're just like me i know it's early but you're just like me i'm sure well oh yes i am as i was trying to wake up at that particular time and he kept saying to me greg i know this is a hard time i just want you to know you're not alone I know this has to do with the issues that separate black and white. So you can't walk this alone or you're going to make some big mistakes. So let's talk about where we are. I had somebody to walk alongside. And that's what we need. And that's what the church is to be. Uh, Last week when I was talking about this on Tuesday with the other pastors, Pastor Albert says, Okay, Greg, you have to tell them this. This is what the whole world is longing for. It's writing about it. This is what Jesus gave his life to bring into being. And so... We give you the invitation here at Lake Avenue Church to be a part of community so that you and we can be whole. And, he said, by the way, this is the hardest thing you'll ever do. This opening up your life and this speaking into other lives. And then Pastor Jeff Leo decided he also had to speak into my life. Didn't, didn't you, Jeff? He said, what about this last phrase in verse 25? you going to ignore that? This, uh, you have to do this all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see that? What's that getting at? It means that God is going to complete His work. Consistent New Testament teaching. Jesus says, I will come back again. And what we must do until He does. It could be any time. What, what we must do is to get our lives ready to meet Him. And He gives us one another to do that. And in order to do that, we have to be in Community community that is grace-filled but also hope-filled because the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in this place. A community where we know one another well enough to consider and in considering to spur but not just spurring, to walk alongside until each one of us is complete in Christ. And each one of us and all of us bring glory to our God. May it be in this place to his glory. Amen. At the end of the service, what I'm going to be inviting you to do is on one side, if you've never entered into the relationship with God to begin the opportunity to grow, to have access to God, I'm going to ask you to come this direction so that you can meet some of our prayer counselors and pastors. They'd love to talk with you about that. But on the other side, if you have come to our church and you've never been able to connect to that life-transforming power that happens in community, we're going to have a whole group over on this side. And we want you to come to talk to them about what we are calling pathways toward connections in the life of the church. But we'll have a song to sing before we do. And just pray as, as we sing that God will work in you. Let me lead us in prayer. So, Father, now do Your work. We see what Your Word calls us to be. and We see how Your Word tells us, commands us, not to forsake meeting together, to worship You and to be involved in one another's lives. So, Father, I'm not sure how You would have each one of us respond. So, through Your Spirit, present in this place, show us. We are ready to hear. We are ready to see. Because, Father, we long to be whole. Do your work in the name of Jesus. Amen.